lonely girl Would you like someone new to talk to Oh yeah, alright I'm feeling kind of lonely too If you don't mind Can I sit down here beside you Oh yeah, alright Right. Hello, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. We're live in the Skyline studio, uh, and we're here until 4 o'clock as we are every weekday morning. Uh, after 4 o'clock, we go to the Bradley Place to our partners over at the TV side of WGN, get some early morning news from them, and then uh, the great Bob Surratt at 5 o'clock. He's a legend. You know that, Tom? Bob Surratt? Legend. I've been told. Yes. I've heard. Um, yeah, we're going to play a little round of uh, It Came From Amazon. This is a fun, this is a fun little thing where we t- we talk about real items that people have purchased on Amazon and then read their real reviews of them. And, Tom, some of these are unbelievably hilarious. When we're talking about the just just yesterday, you you brought up the what was the the oh, microwave mic- microwave for one cookbook? Yeah, microwave <laughs> <laughs> microwave for one cookbook, a real thing, and so sad. There there are you know there there are actually like a, a a bunch of cookbooks that are made for sad people. Have you ever seen those? Like the people who live alone. Oh, you can cooking for yourself, hey, man. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it is a beautiful thing that you can make a delicious meal in a microwave for yourself. Yeah. My girlfriend, uh, she she she's cooked a lot recently, but prior to this whole stay-at-home yeah. thing, not a whole lot of cooking. I do a lot of the cooking. Right. So if I'm, you know, if she's away doing on doing something at a conference or something like that, yeah. you better believe I'm not breaking out the pots and pans to make myself a meal. Yeah. Microwave. Yeah. For one. There it is. Story of my life, Tom. Yeah, I was. Gonna, don't you live alone? <laughs> I do live alone. I do, and I don't cook nearly as much as I used to. Well, maybe, maybe I'll have to buy you that book because, um, <laughs> you know, when you, I, I just like to cook for other people. I like to cook myself. I love to cook, but it's great to cook for other people. And I'm not married anymore, so it's just me. So I'm going to cook something and go. Oh, I like what I what I cooked for me. Yay, me. So. Anyway, but yeah, microwave cooking for one. That was a uh, cookbook for one. The the review on that was it with this. What was the review on that? Can you remember? Yeah, finally I have something else to put in my mouth other than the cold steel of my grandfather's shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> grim, truly. So grim. that's some of the stuff that you can look forward to when we do. It came from uh, it came from Amazon. All right. Um, Dan Feinberg is our good buddy. He is the TV critic for The Hollywood Reporter. You can follow him on Twitter and everywhere else at The Fine Print, F-I-E-N. And uh, we always love to have Dan on to talk TV. We do it every couple of weeks. Uh, Dan, how you doing, man? I can't talk. I'm busy ordering meal in a mug and eating fast, easy recipes for hungry people. All you need is a mug and a microwave. Get out of here. <laughs> you know, I mean, it seems much less sad than uh, than microwave real meals for one. Uh, but there's also microwave recipes for one, which seems even more sophisticated. Oh, jeez! <laughs> wow! 
Uh, <laughs> Look, you guys made me go down this rabbit hole. I had no interest whatsoever in learning how to cook meals for one in my microwave, but now I'm rather desperate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, gl- I'm glad we were able to get you down that wormhole. <laughs> Let me assure you, between my microwave meals for one and my TV for one, it's, you know, everything is, is coming up, Dan. Yeah. Okay, there you go. Well, it's always great to talk to you, Dan. Uh, hey, how are you holding up during this uh, quarantine stuff? Fortunately, just staying busy. How about you? Staying busy. You know, I mean, I'm coming to work, though, you know, so uh, I got that. So uh, at least that keeps me, you know, kind of sane. <laughs> there's a bit of regular yeah, there's a bit of regularity my work comes to me so it's it's a little bit different having some place to go wouldn't be bad but yeah. you know at least there's still plenty of tv yeah there's still plenty of tv so you can still do your job you know and uh you know you can do it remote knocking can, on wood yeah yeah no absolutely and uh you know the tv now when when will the you know because because of you know productions being shut down and stuff like that when is that actually going to affect programming oh it's it's not affecting programming already you there is no question if you look at the schedule for the rest of the month of july and then you look forward to august there is no question that there is less and less coming and more than that you're going to start noticing at least some of what's coming is beginning to look a little bit suspect you know things that under different circumstances might have been, I don't know, random British shows that would have popped up in the background uh, of your Netflix algorithm instead are suddenly going to be getting heavy promotion. Uh, You know, mid-season shows that the networks were probably going to end up burning off are suddenly going to pop up and everyone's going to go, a brand new network sitcom, it's got to be good. And there's going to be a lot of that. And it's also going to get to the point where you know, a few months ago, between Netflix and Hulu and Amazon, there were like five, six new shows coming out every single weekend. And we're going to get to the point where it's going to be one or two and plus a couple of movies that aren't getting theatrical releases. And some yeah. of them might even look good. But, yeah, that is we, – we're getting there. But I don't think we're near – at desperation stage we're yeah. definitely not at the oh there's nothing to watch on tv stage yet yeah no i don't think that's going to happen um you, you you're talking about theatrical movies uh the greyhound that tom hanks movie is going to be available this weekend uh there's greyhound there's palm springs which sold big out of sundance a few months ago uh and then there's the Charlize theron uh movie on netflix there this it was actually a pretty big weekend for yeah. streaming service yeah. theatrical type movies. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Okay. So, huzzah. Uh-huh. All right, Dan, hang on, okay? Sure. All right, Dan Feinberg is with us. He is a TV critic for The Hollywood Reporter. Follow him on Twitter at The Fine Print, F I E N. Lots of TV to talk about, always fun. And uh, if you have a TV uh, question or comment, it's 312 981 7200. 312 981 7200. And that, of course, is the Team Hochberg phone line. Hello, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. 
And we are uh, live in the uh, Skyline studio here until 4 o'clock. 312-981-7200. That's our phone number if you would like to join us. Um, Dan Feinberg uh, joins us twice every two weeks uh, to... uh, to talk TV. He's a TV critic for The Hollywood Reporter, and you can follow him on uh, Twitter at The Fine Print, F I E N. And uh, he's here to talk TV. Hello, Dan. Hello, Nick. Okay. Um, so you wrote about the Critics Notebook. You wrote about which Emmy contenders will get lost in the quarantine time blur. Tell us a little bit about that piece. It's your article was basically about my reflection on how long ago last week seems, how long ago a month ago seems, how long ago March seems, and the idea that any voters are about to cast ballots for basically this year's Emmys, which will take place as of now in September as scheduled, and they have to try to remember things that existed back in back in last June, back in last July, and the test case example that I've given to many, many people, uh, many of whom do what I do for a living, is do you realize that there was a season of Orange is the New Black that aired in this Emmy period? And I keep getting these dead-eyed expressions. Uh, I mentioned one of our favorite shows, Baskets, yeah. uh, and say, you, you realize that's actually still eligible for Emmys this year? And people go, that was this year? And... There are like a dozen shows like that if you go back. And so a lot of what I was talking about is these shows that probably have lingered in the mind. A show like Succession, for example, because it was in the top three of basically every critic's top ten list last year. Because it won a bunch of awards last January, December. It's going to be okay. I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried about Watchmen because, you know, it's not good that it's been the show everyone has been talking about for the past two months because of how current events have echoed things in the show, but it has kept people talking about the show and it's kept the show relevant. So those are shows I'm not worried about, but there are really good shows from <laughs> from June and July and August and September of last year that are going to get lost. And, you know, in some cases it's not a disaster, but if Louie Anderson doesn't get another Emmy nomination, I'm going to be sad. Yeah. If people from the cast of Orange is the New Black get shut out, I'm going to be sad. So that's what the article was about. Yeah. And it, it's, it's such a weird time. And I, you know, um, are they going to do, have they discussed how they're going to hand out the Emmys? They haven't discussed it. And I think probably everyone's holding their breath, not necessarily that they're going to be able to have a full scale show because clearly they're not. Yeah. But there are so many different ways of how they could do it. It could be, you know, in one version of the world in which things improve dramatically, and that's currently not the version of the world we're in in California, where we keep having a record number of uh, diagnosed COVID-19 cases every day. So that's not good. Uh, Maybe there could be a situation where they actually have a live show and they just do it weirdly in social distancing. My guess is it will probably have to be done remote. It'll it'll probably have to be uh, Jimmy Kimmel who will be hosting. He'll probably have to do it from a stage somewhere or his garage, and they'll find a way to get the awards to people, and maybe they'll try to find a way to keep it quiet so that there's still a surprise to it. But, yeah, it's it's going to be a mess, and there are going to be more and more 
situations like this. And, you know, obviously in the grand scheme of things, not the biggest concern in the world, but in terms of what I do for a living, it's the thing we talk about. Yeah, well, yeah, sure. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, affecting, uh, it's affecting everything, obviously. So, all right, well, we'll see what happens. Uh, when do the Emmy nominations get announced? Um, it, it's going to be later than usual because everything in the window got pushed back. Right. Um, and so the ballots, I believe they close on Friday. Um, I know that the TCA award nominations are being announced, I believe, sometime this week. Unclear when. And we've always liked to get those nominations out a couple days before the Emmy voting so that they can maybe have some influence or whatever. But yeah, they'll be in the next couple of weeks and then everyone will get outraged and at least that'll give us something new to talk about, which is always important. Right. Okay. Well, we'll look, we'll, we'll look to see what they do. It'll be interesting to see, uh, what the Emmys are going to look like this year. And, uh, and you know, obviously it's always, it's always a lot of fun to see who the nominated, uh, you know, who, who are, who, what the nominations are. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how this is, this whole thing is handled at this uh, strange time in the world. So it is all unprecedented. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Okay. Uh, they rebooted Unsolved Mysteries on Netflix. Um, Unsolved Mysteries, obviously, the classic Robert Stack uh, hosted uh, uh, reenactment true crime franchise that my uh, the, Esmeralda, who used to do traffic here on the show, uh, is terrified of the is terrified of the music. Just the, the the theme at the beginning totally freaks her out, so she couldn't watch it. That is the only thing that remains in the new Netflix version of Unsolved. Oh, they still have the, They still have the. They still have the old theme, huh? They, they do still have the old theme. Obviously, no more Robert Stack. But people don't remember that there was a full like 170 episodes of Unsolved Mysteries that were hosted by Dennis Farina in various different uh, locations. And nobody ever thinks of the show as having been hosted by Dennis Farina, but he was. And so people say, you can't replace Robert Stack. Well, you can. It might not be as memorable. Yeah. But instead, they have gone hostless for this new incarnation. Oh, okay. On Netflix last week. Um, And they've gone... I want to say reenactment free, but the you know basically if you were to list the three things that are most memorable about the Unsolved Mystery franchise, it would be Robert Stack or the theme song, one or two, whatever your preference is, and then the kind of corny reenactments. Yeah, third, and sometimes they were effectively scary. But I would say more frequently corny. Yeah, uh, these are light on reenactments, and once you take away a host and reenactments. It's just another semi-generic true crime franchise in which nobody's actually doing any new research, nobody's doing any reporting, and yeah, it's it's just not very good. Uh, of the six episodes I saw, the six episodes of the premiere in the first batch, I thought maybe one of them was decent, but none of them are, are scary. I mean, that, that's for sure true, and a lot of what people liked about the show was the Either the supernatural elements that made people go, oh, scary, um, or the true crime, oh, my God, it could happen to you, and it hasn't been solved aspects. It, there's really nothing to any of these. These are all, They all feel like cases that weren't good enough to get their own four-episode 
Netflix or HBO documentary series, which is pretty much all they are. Because you know what's a great Unsolved Mysteries? The Jinx on HBO. Uh, Tiger King, which I don't think is great, but it's basically an Unsolved Mysteries episode that goes for seven episodes. These are not very good. I, I was, in fact, pretty hugely disappointed wow. okay all right now do they do one. they do, do yeah. yeah do they do one case a show they do one case a show and they stretch the cases out to sometimes as much as 50 minutes sometimes a little bit closer to 44 minutes none of them are really good enough to sustain it there's one episode that's about a i would say pretty clearly solved just not resolved murder mystery in uh, france it's actually a really good story, and if you go and you know basically Google the case, you'll discover exactly how much they left out in this version of the story, and and how bare bones and again not very well researched it is. It's just not very good, and it's conspicuously unnecessary. Uh, you know, none of these remakes obviously are, are really necessary, but yeah. this one is really unnecessary. Yeah. Now, Tom, have you watched it? I, I did. I watched a couple episodes. Yeah, and um, I mean, I, I I remember watching the uh, some of the episodes when I was really young. You know, of the uh, original run, I guess, or I don't know how many runs would be considered with a little. Didn't Virginia Madsen did was in it for a little bit? Really? So she co-hosted. She co-hosted. co-hosted for a brief stretch. How could you not know that, Nick? I can't believe I didn't know that. I love Virginia Madsen. Yeah, I want to say that was like 1999 when she co-hosted. Come for, on, just for a tiny stretch of time, Virginia Madsen. That's crazy. But uh, yeah, I thought these were pretty good. I, I wouldn't call myself a true crime head or anything. Um, you know, I don't spend most of my days watching 48 Hours Mystery here. But I, I don't know. I, I thought it was pretty good, pretty well put together. But when Dan mentioned that they really stretch the cases, they do. They yeah. they really do. Some of those episodes could have been about, like, I don't know, half the length, if we're being honest. Uh, they're good stories, but, um, yeah, just a little bit too much stretching. Okay. I'm not even sure some of them are good stories. I, I think that, and, and the ones that are good stories, the lack of, the lack of research just really gets to me. Like, there's one in which basically the whole premise is it was this hate crime involving a, a black young man in, I think, Kansas. And they say it was probably a hate crime. They have no actual evidence for this. And I'm not saying they're wrong. I would guess, in fact, almost certainly it was a hate crime. But if you're going to see something like that, Give me some details. Give me some information. Show that you've done some research, because otherwise you're throwing out some, you're throwing out some big buzzwords and, and not yeah. doing anything with it, and yeah. that to me feels damaging. So, okay. yeah. Okay. All right. Okay, Dan, hang on. Sure. All right, Dan Feinberg, uh, uh, Netflix reboot of Unsolved Mysteries. Not good. All right, we got more TV to talk about, and if you want to join us, it's 312. 312- Nine eight one seven two hundred three one two nine eight one seven two hundred.
Hello, Nick DiGilio here on 720 WGN. We're live in the Skyline studio, uh, 18 stories above beautiful downtown Chicago, and we're here until 4 o'clock. Coming up at 2.30, we always play some classic Johnny Carson. You can watch the Johnny Carson show every night on Antenna TV. And uh, we're going to play back a great clip of the great character Floyd R. Turbo. Uh, Yeah. And we're going to talk about some scary stuff. We've got some paranormal stuff to talk about and some spooky stuff. 312-981-7200 is the phone number. Dan Feinberg is with us right now, TV critic for The Hollywood Reporter. You can follow him on Twitter at The Fine Print, F-I-E-N. And uh, there's a lot of TV to talk about. We always uh, love having Dan on. Hello, Dan. Hello, Nick. All right. We have a uh, caller here. Is Rich. Go ahead, Rich. Hey, Nick. What's up? Uh, go ahead, my man. I got a question for Dan. What does Dan think of the crime watch uh, with Chris Hansen coming back? What was that? One more time, Rich. Crime watch with Chris Hansen is back. He gained some weight, though. (laughs) Huh, I have. This is one I have not watched, so. Oh, really? Let's see if we can... Do you think also, too, or just another question, do you think the film festivals will be affected by this corona thing? Well, yeah, Rich. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, We had a a meeting today, actually, uh, talking about it, so I had sort of vague insight into what they're thinking. Uh, And different festivals are thinking of different strategies, basically. And again, it's the same as... It's the same as the Emmys. It's the same as everything. <laughs> it's it's how are we going to do this in the best way we can, honoring the experience as best we can while no one wants to be in a crowded room together watching a movie. Because, you know, it's the thing about a film festival is inevitably someone's going to cough in the movie theater. Yeah. And normally <clears throat> that just becomes inconvenient and annoying. And instead, this is going to make people worry that they're going to die. And that's not Good. So, um, you know, for example, Telluride is insisting they're still going to have a festival, but with dramatically reduced um, social distancing, whatevers. Uh, Toronto has not said exactly what they're doing. I think Venice is saying they're going to do a festival, but we'll see. A lot of people are saying they're going to do things because it makes more sense than just canceling five, six months out because you want to show that you're supporting the industry basically. But I, I, I will be amazed if any of these festivals actually happen in person, you know, how can Toronto happen if Canada is not letting foreigners into the country? Right. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be different is the easiest answer. All right, Rich, thanks for the call. Uh, 312-981-7200. Yeah, we, we were just talking to our, 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 our friends, Mike and Mia Kurz here locally, who run uh, the Midway Drive-In. And drive-ins have become uh, you know, a pretty popular thing now because you can safely stay in your car, you can social distance. Um, and uh, so they're having an event this weekend where Bruce Campbell's going to be there live. Um, oh, that's nice. Yeah, and so he's coming. He's coming to town. He'll be there live uh, for the weekend on Friday and Saturday night, and um, you know they're going to be packed. It's 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 going to be packed, and so so drive-ins are drive-ins are actually doing pretty well, and they're showing some old classic movies too. So it's a chance for people to see some older films uh, on the big screen. So it's it's kind of fun. Oh, that's good. That's good to hear. I hope everyone 
still behaves with appropriate common sense and caution and all of that. But I'm glad if anyone is trying to find a way to make the best of the situation while remaining cautious. Yeah, exactly. All right. Okay. Hey, let's move on to your review of Outcry. Tell us about that. Uh, Outcry is a five-part Showtime documentary series. It's at least partially under the Showtime Spitz documentary series banner, uh, which isn't entirely appropriate, but there you go. It's the story of a Texas high school football player who was accused in 2014, accused and convicted of the sexual molestation of a four-year-old, you know, a horrible, horrible crime. And he insisted at the time that he was innocent. And it's the story of his multi-year quest to either find the truth or to clear his name or both of those things. It's about a system that doesn't work, but it's not exactly the story of a broken system that we see most frequently. This is not a story about a system that's broken and prejudiced against minorities or a system that's prejudiced against the financially disadvantaged, because certainly those things are both true, and we've seen many documentaries on this subject. In this case, it's just a story of of a botched and ineffective police investigation and how hard it is to undo something like that once the wheels are in motion. And so it, it is intended to make you angry, but it's not intended to make you angry in the same way as, I don't know, a, a documentary about the Central Park Five, the Exonerated Five. You know, you, you know exactly there where your anger is supposed to be directed. Here it's a more complicated thing, and that makes it a little bit less easy to embrace, to kind of jump on the, I'm going to take a sign and start protesting, though certainly people in Texas did. Uh, so you just follow the story, and and you sit there being angry about a lot of the process stuff. And that's a lot of why people watch true crime documentaries. And so it fulfills that need effectively, would be what I would say. Mm. And uh, who's behind this one? Um, it's a it's a director who directed a previous Showtime Bigly Sports affiliated documentary. Uh, there's there's no big name producer per se. It's just this is Showtime has been pushing more and more into documentaries in the past couple of years. Uh, they've had a very successful run of music documentaries, and this is not their first true crime thing. They had Murder in the Bayou or Murder on the Bayou. I no longer remember when anything actually aired, but in this any cycle, that part I totally know, and that was actually really good, and that was another one of those, this is broken, everything is horrible, uh, here are these unimaginable crimes that maybe aren't being solved, why are they not being solved kind of documentary, and there's there's a very basic satisfaction that we get out of watching these, and I think this is is a solid entry in the genre. You you definitely will watch this and feel infuriated. The question comes down to whether or not that's what you feel like you really crave in this particular moment. But if it is, showtime's have cry. Well, you know, it's it, it, yeah. Um, <laughs> am I am I 
am I nuts or, or does there seem to be a lot more true crime docs and a lot more true crime stories now? I mean, they've always been around, but they just seem there just seems to be more of them now. There's there's an appetite, and it you know the the, the easiest thing to point to is kind of the serial effect uh, because the serial podcast was obviously one of I don't want to say necessarily the first, but it was. It was a true crime, long-form piece of storytelling that galvanized audiences, uh, that proved things you can do within the podcast format that hadn't really been done in quite the same way at that point, and also galvanized actual people to attempt to make legal and political change. So those are intriguing things. And, you know, you look at you look at great entries in the genre, and I mentioned earlier the Jinx is, is one of my, my favorites. Uh, so that would be an example of a great entry. Um, and then you look at something like The Staircase, which really is one of the very first of the true crime long-form stories, and it's available, I think, still on Netflix, and it's, it's another just great piece of documentary storytelling that Netflix revisited too many times and grew less good with each passing new chapter but yeah i think i think it's it is a it's a genre that thrives on getting people frustrated and angry and that is a similar sentiment to the sentiment that a lot of social media thrives on and that a lot of our lives are built upon these days so it's it's all just the the anger industrial complex i guess there's a you know i there 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 are people who that i know i've mentioned who are obsessed with these true crime uh shows and true crime documentaries it just seems like there's a there's a there's a, a a certain person, a, a lot of people who love these things. Oh, and it's and it's there. There are whole networks dedicated to them: investigation, discovery, etc. And we're always told that, uh, for example, the true crime stories skew much more female than people would necessarily think for whatever reason. So it's an interesting way of attracting different demographics with different kinds of programming. So it's a, it's a good way of targeting. Um, I'll be gone in the dark, uh, which premiered on HBO two weeks ago is, is a really solid example of this. And it's based on the Michelle McNamara, uh, bestselling book about the search for the golden state killer. And just when it's done well, it has all of the effectiveness of a good mystery. It has all of the effectiveness of a good horror story, because that is what these are at the root. And, you know, in a perfect world, maybe you get the satisfaction of, of a resolution that's also positive. You know, we got the guy. So that's what everyone watches legal procedurals on TV for and crime procedurals also. So right. it, it combines a lot of elements. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, Dan, hang on, okay? Sure. Yep. Dan Feinberg is with us. He is TV critic for The Hollywood Reporter. He joins us every two weeks to talk TV. You can follow him on Twitter at The Fine Print, F I E N. More TV talk coming up. Right. Hey, it's Nick DiGilio on 720 WGN. We are live in the Skyline studio here till 4 o'clock as we are every weekday morning, 11 p.m. to 4 a.m. 
Uh, we're going to do a little bit. It came from Amazon where we're going to talk a little bit about uh, actual items that are available on Amazon and actual real reviews of uh, those items from people who purchased them, and some of them are just crazy. we got some paranormal and scary stuff to talk about. We're going to talk about common nightmares and their meanings. And um, that bat with the human-sized wingspan is freaking out everybody. We'll uh, talk a little bit about that. 312-981-7200. That's our phone number if you would like to join us. We are talking with Dan Feinberg. And the news is next from the Northwestern uh, Medicine Newsroom. Dan Feinberg, uh, TV critic for The Hollywood Reporter. Uh, We always have Dan on every couple of weeks to talk TV. So, uh, hello, Dan. Hello, Nick. All right. So, uh, let's talk a little bit about Close Enough. Close Enough. It premieres on Thursday, which I guess is technically today there. Today, yes. But here it's still tomorrow. So, you know, it's like a long time away. Right. (laughs) Um, but yes, it is a new HBO Max animated uh, comedy from uh, J.T. Quintel, who uh, some people, including Tom, uh, know as the creator of Regular Show, which aired on Cartoon Network for I believe, 260 episodes or something, which is an awful lot. Wow. There were only 11-minute episodes, but still, that's a lot of episodes. Um and this was originally developed at TBS when TBS was in the process of trying to build out a block of adult animated comedies. And then for a variety of reasons, TBS kind of backed away from adult-oriented animated comedies and also scripted comedy in general. Um, but fortunately, HBO Max stepped up in the same way that they did with Search Party, another show that was developed and aired on TBS. And it is an animated family comedy about, uh, not really a family comedy, because it's really for grown-ups, about a family. It's about a 30-something, young 30-something husband and wife raising a five-year-old daughter. Uh, they're living in a Los Angeles apartment they can't afford with uh, two of their friends who were formerly married and now are divorced. And... Uh, Hilarious hijinks ensue. Sort of the, the gimmick of the show is that each episode begins with a relatable, grounded situation, and then it becomes increasingly outlandish. So, for example, the parents think they just want one night where they go to a club, and they go to a club called Logan's. And it turns out the club is inspired by Logan's run in a very disturbing way. So in each episode... In each episode, uh, things start off with a normal, mundane situation and become increasingly insane. There's one episode that has a, a sort of alternate dimension, nihilist sitcom wormhole that they go to through to some degree. There are episodes with crazed robots, etc., etc. And everything is resolved within 11 minutes. Again, there are 11-minute episodes, but they're paired into one 22-minute episode as well. So um, I didn't laugh a lot at it, but I thought it was likable and relatively appealing and sometimes did inspired things as the plot lines got more extreme. So, yeah, it's just, this is one of those things where in a world with entirely too much new TV coming out, you might go, eh, this will slip through the cracks. But it, right now, I was very happy to watch the episodes I watched and, and smiled frequently, laughed occasionally. Okay. 
All right. Uh, and JG Quintel is the he's uh, the creator of Regular Show. Yes, and he also is the voice of the main male character. Um, and it's one of those shows with um, a wide variety of very very familiar vocal actors because the voiceover acting community is I don't want to say it's small, but a lot of the same great voices pop up. Uh, one of the main voices is Jason Manzukas, who is a comic character actor who people know and love from many, many shows, including The Leak and uh, just about everything, actually. Yeah. And he pops up constantly. He, he pops up constantly voicing things in comparable animated shows, and he's very good here. And if you watch long enough, you'll, you'll just start hearing dozens upon, you know, like, oh, it's Chris Parnell's voice. Of course it's Chris Parnell's voice. Uh, yeah. He's always here. I think Jason Sudeikis voices a character in one episode. It's, there's a lot of, of that kind of comedy people. And yeah, it's it's not great, but I can see how it could become increasingly confident as it goes along. And so, perfectly pleasant way to okay. spend 22 minutes at a stretch. Okay, so uh, that's close enough. It debuts tonight on HBO Max. So, uh, Tom, you, 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 you're you a fan of a regular show? I am. I am a, a fan of J.G. Quintel and his particular sense of humor, his kind of... I've uh, never seen regular show. Tell, well, it's, a, it's, it's more of a children's show with kind of an adult sensibility. It's about um, a raccoon and a uh, bluebird or a blue jay oh, yeah, that yeah. work at a, like, a community park. And uh, I know Mark Mark Hamill has a voice in there, uh, a few other interesting voices, but it's one of those shows where you might see a kid watching it and listen to some of the jokes, and you're like, is this appropriate for kids? Yeah. It's kind of that uh, PG-13 sense of humor, and it's just a show about working, and it's it's hilarious. I, I thought it was really good, and I think J.G. Quintel's a really funny guy. Okay. What about you? Are you a fan of, uh, of, of a regular show, Dan? Um, I've, I watched some. It is all available on the Hulu right now. If anyone wants to dedicate their weekend to watching 260 episodes of regular show, it's it's all available. Uh, so yeah, I, I watched it some, and it's a it's a similar sensibility. And uh, he also voiced several of the main characters in regular show. So the voice is both uh, literally and figuratively and narratively comparable between the shows okay all right so if you're a fan of uh a regular show then you'll probably like close enough and again it debuts debuts tonight on hbo max all right how do you know if you have hbo max (laughs) (laughs) this this has been one of the great questions of the past few weeks uh it's not quite on the same level as last week's do i have disney plus uh question that everyone was asking because of hamilton right the answer is you might have access to it, and chances are probably good that you have access to it for free if you are an HBO subscriber through your cable system. I am an HBO um, subscriber through my cable system, yeah. Then, then probably if you go through the website, they will make you jump through a couple hoops, but eventually you will be able to simply watch it. Okay. It's, it's right. got a lot of stuff on it. You know, it, it, you, you mentioned uh, Disney+. Plus. I, everybody on the planet watched Hamilton. As, as far as I can tell. <laughs> it appears to have been a lot of people, and, and, and a lot of people were able to coach various different family members. I, I talked to my parents through how they would want to watch, and 
they were able to successfully secure themselves a, a Disney Plus login and watch it, and others comparably. So, so yes. Uh, did did you watch it? I did not. I, I mean, why I, not, Nick? I, uh, I've, I've I've seen it, and I'm not the biggest fan of Hamilton, so I did not watch it. I know I'm in the minority on that. Okay. I, everybody loves it. I know, I, and I've, I've I've seen the play. I saw it actually with Lin Manuel uh, Miranda uh, years ago, and, and when it first came to Chicago, and um, I was I was I thought it was okay. I didn't think it was great. So yeah, I'm not I'm not one of the Hamilton freaks. Like there are there are tons of them, but I, I don't fall into that category. What did you think? <sighs> I I really enjoyed it. It did it did what I needed it to do. It uh, I watched. I managed to hold off and not watch it until Friday evening. You know, half of my Twitter feed was up at midnight Pacific on on Friday, watching it immediately. Yeah, uh, I, I held off until Friday evening, but then I settled in and and I actually shut down my laptop. I, I turned off my phone and I simply enjoyed the musical. I laughed. I cried. Yeah. The whole nine yards totally pleasant. Okay. And I think a lot I think most people, you know, majority of people uh, uh, agree with that. Tom, did you watch it, Tom? I did watch it. And what did you think? Uh, I was neither over nor underwhelmed. Well, you're not simply, a musical guy. Yeah. Well especially if there's one thing I truly hate in a musical it is when there is no regular dialogue. It is just all the songs. Uh, there's no slow. There's no pause. There's no kind of break for them to do um, more traditional stage acting. They just kind of go straight through and it's just song after song after song after song. I understand that it is an artistic choice, but it is the exact same reason that I hate things like Les Miserables. I think it's super annoying, and I uh, it's it doesn't work for me. It just doesn't work for me. It's a it's it's a total prejudice that I hold. Um, and also, I'm gonna say it. Uh, Lin Manuel Miranda might be. For being being famous for being on stage rapping, he might be one of the worst rappers I've ever heard. Uh, he's he's really not great. Meanwhile, he's surrounded by incredibly talented people, and his writing is fantastic, and his vision is fantastic, and he's he you know he won the MacArthur Genius Grant or something like that. Well deserved because I could not think out something like Hamilton, but watching him up there like do the rhymes himself. And then just get absolutely blown out of the water by his co-stars. I don't know. Maybe that was by design. Wow. Uh, I think there are probably people who have played the role of Hamilton in uh, other productions that might have done a better job. Oh. Okay. Very interesting. You just don't like musicals, man. We've talked about this I, before. I, it's not for me. It's yeah. not my chosen form. I still think that Lin-Manuel's uh, Miranda's greatest performance was as Roy Scheider <laughs> in... Uh, Fossey Verdon. <laughs> well, he did no rapping at all. Well, he not didn't, a bit. Nope, he didn't. He uh, didn't rap as Roy Scheider? He did not rap as Roy I, Scheider. I, I always thought that Roy Scheider was a bit of a hip-hop fan. He oh, seemed yeah. like that kind of guy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Dan Feinberg is a TV critic for The Hollywood Reporter. You can follow him on Twitter at the fine print F-I-E-N. Dan, hang on, okay? Sure. Okay, Dan Feinberg's going to hang out with us. We've got a few more things to talk about TV-related, 312-981-7200. If you would like to jump in here with a TV comment or a question, 312-981-7200. Uh, a little bit later on, we'll do the Carson Comedy Classic, and we're also going to do It Came From Amazon, and it's not about animals. 
It's about products that are available on Amazon, and we're going to talk about those products and read actual reviews, which are hilarious. So that's coming up here on 720 WGN, and it's all coming up right after the news, which is now. Hello there. Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN, live in the Skyline Studio, 18 stories above beautiful downtown Chicago, here till 4 a.m. as we are every weekday morning. And then at 4, we head over to Bradley Place, our good friends over at the TV side of WGN, get some news and information from them. And then at 5 o'clock, the one and only Bob Surratt is your morning drive. And we are here, WGN is here 24-7 to keep you company, to keep you informed, keep you entertained, and to get you through it. 312-981-7200 is our phone number. Uh, Dan Feinberg joins us uh, bi-weekly. He is a TV critic from The Hollywood Reporter, and we talk TV. You can follow him at Twitter at uh, TheFinePrint, F-I-E-N. And he is here. Hello, Dan. Hello, Nick. All right. So tell us about Little Voice. Okay, the first thing I have to emphasize about Little Voice, this is for for time, it's not a solitary musical. So there's there's totally like dialogue and everything. Okay. So, so Tom might not hate it. <laughs> this is what this is what I'm trying to emphasize. Uh, Little Voice uh, is an Apple TV Plus uh, musical dramedy, I guess. It's a, a half hour show. So that's a thing to know. Half hour show, nine episodes. So pretty quick. I believe it is premiering. Uh, Three at first, and then weekly on Apple TV Plus. Now I honestly get confused on how all of these streaming services are doing. Okay, their rollouts. But it does. But it does. It it does start tomorrow, uh, Friday. It starts Friday. Yes. Yeah, okay. Uh, that part I'm sure of. Okay. And it was created by uh, by beloved songstress Chantuse, uh Sarah Bareilles uh, with Jesse Nelson. Uh, they previously worked together on the musical version of Waitress. Which I loved. Uh, which I loved. So, uh, the, the movie or the musical? Or both? both. Both. Yeah, both. I happen to be, oh, I, I happen to be, uh, I was relatively obsessed with Felicity when I was, you know, when it first came oh. on. And I watched it. At, oh, I'm, I'm aware, Nick. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, I, so yeah, of course, I'm, I, I, was, I, was, I was probably poised to like it immediately just because of who the lead was in the movie. It is a great Carrie Russell performance in that movie. Mm-hmm. There is there is no question about that at all, and it, and it was sort of a comeback performance for her. But anyway, so yes, uh, they created the musical, uh, and it is so. Little Voice um, is the story of an aspiring singer songwriter in New York City. Uh, she's played by Brittany O'Grady, who a dozen people would probably remember from the Fox musical drama uh, Stare. Mm. Uh, she was one of the supporting performers in that. Um, and it's just about her struggles to to make it in, in New York. Uh, it is very, very earnest. This is not at all surprising. If, if people know Sarah Bareilles, she 
is an earnest singer. Uh, she is a sincere singer. She is a sentimental singer. That is what she does. Jesse yep. uh, Elson, who is the showrunner, her feature credits include Karina Karina and I Am Sam. She is also someone who enjoys earnestness. So if you are an ironic, skewing person, which I tend to be, um, you, you have to sort of know that going in. But if you are prepared to catch its very earnest, very sentimental, very clear-eyed approach to things, it's it's sweet and it's simple. There's a love triangle. The love triangle does not work. But these songs, which were written by Sarah Bareilles, sound like Sarah Bareilles songs. And so this is one of those situations in which the person who's an aspiring songwriter, you listen to the new songs that that person is singing, and you go, okay, I can see how that would be a successful song. She sounds like Sarah Bareilles. So... I can imagine there'd be an audience. Um, it is mostly a cast of people who audiences will either legally recognize from things or, in many cases, not recognize at all. But mm. it is one of those shows where the city is, is a character. So it is a very, very good New York set show. And there's appeal to that. Just, you know, don't don't go in expecting much of an edge to it. Don't go in expecting um, I don't know, for it to be trying to be cool or anything, because that's just not what anyone involved with it is going for. Uh, some people, I'm sure, will even like the love triangle. I thought it was a pretty flimsy love triangle, but the songs are good, the New York is good, and it's, it goes for some emotions that will make people feel things, and some people will be in the mood for that. So just go in knowing what it is, knowing it's earnest, knowing it's sentimental, and uh, and some people will really enjoy what it's doing. I okay. Think. All right. So that's Little Voice on Apple TV+. Plus. Um, before we let you go, you know, I, I wanted to thank you again for making a special uh, visit to us uh, after Carl Reinhardt passed away. Um. <laughs> And, uh, you know, you talk, you have the um, newsletter here, uh, and now see this newsletter, and you, you mentioned this. This has been mentioned uh, at the uh, Hollywood Reporter. It says, we lost an all-timer this week when Carl Reiner passed away at the age of 98. Reiner's career covered so much writing, directing, and acting ground that there's no bad place to start. We just want to make sure people know about this. But a great place would be the Dick Van Dyke Show, which is streaming on Hulu. Is every episode available on Hulu? <laughs> I believe every episode is available on Hulu, and if it's not, it's enough to keep you busy. So, yeah. you know, if you need to stress because a couple episodes are missing, come yeah. on, just watch what they got. Okay. Uh, if you have HBO Max, you can stream All of Me, which is possibly the best of Reiner's collaborations with Steve Martin, and it's such a great movie. Um, and Or you can just settle in on YouTube and go down a rabbit hole of clips from Reiner's variety show, Roots, and his many, many great team-ups with Mel Brooks. Truly, it doesn't get much better. So people can get their fill of uh, Carl Reiner. It's out there. So I just want to make sure we got that. We got that out there. And and, and many laughs, just many many laughs, and, and definitely, you know, you can be you can be sad about Carl Reiner still, but heaven knows the guy left a, a body of work that that you know you, you can It's tough to talk. Yeah. And so just celebrate the celebrate the laughter. I think probably it's what he would want. Exactly. Okay, Dan, always a pleasure, and we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Sounds good. Talk to you later. Okay, buddy, take care.
Dan Feinberg, a TV critic for The Hollywood Reporter, one of our favorite regular guests. You can follow him on Twitter at The Fine Print, F-I-E-N. We always love talking TV with Dan Feinberg.